We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in to the LakersNation.com podcast. I'm Trevor Lane for LakersNation.com. Well, we've got a lot to talk about. Still reeling from that Lakers loss to the New Orleans Pelicans. Yet another brutal one and a long string of them this season. Before we dive into that, as well as what's coming on ahead for the Lakers. And, well, we've got a lot more to get into, too, including injury updates on LeBron James, Anthony Davis, what that might mean for the remainder of the Lakers season. But before we get into all that, I want to give a shout-out. Thank you to all of you who have left reviews over on Apple Podcasts. We certainly appreciate those, particularly those five-star ratings we've been getting. Some of the reviews have been absolutely fantastic. So, again, we truly, truly appreciate all of those. Joining me on today's show is Ron Gutterman from LakersNation.com. Ron, how are you doing, man? It's been it's been a tough season. I mean, we're just at like this is like a month long rock bottom. It feels like mm-hmm. where outside of that four game stretch where they looked like a coherent basketball team, it's just been sad every night. And uh, yeah, I know I know a lot of fans out there are just like counting down the days until this is over and we never have to think about this team again. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been that bad. I've seen fans, Lakers fans, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree with this, who are hoping that the Spurs overtake them for in the play-in race, because it gets this team to go away that much faster. What do you, what are your thoughts are? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I've definitely seen that sentiment being floated around. I mean, it's one less Lakers game we have to watch. Like (laughs) that's like. That's the that's the simple way of putting it. And if they get to the play-in tournament, I mean, they're playing New Orleans. How's that gone for them this season? Mm-hmm. Like, not not well at all. <laughs> They've played one good half out of four against the New Orleans Pelicans this season. So, you know, are, are we really beating them? Like, I, I have no clue. I, maybe, but I, it's like the the wins the wins are so hard to predict at this point. Mm-hmm. That you can't even look ahead and be like, well, if we just do this and that, because this team has never done, not once this season has this team had a string of games where they did what they were expected to do in a positive way. Or sometimes even a negative way. This team's been so hard to predict. 
every time, and this is what we said leading into the Pelicans game, uh, Mark Gunnels was on with me and we were talking about this. And I said, you know what? It, the challenge with this team is that every time you would expect them to step up, okay, they're going to be upset. They're going to be angry. They're going to come in focused, locked in. Here we go. They've kind of, kind of fallen flat in games like that where you would expect them to really be be locked in. But then against the Pelicans, they were for the first half and then not for the second half. They suddenly didn't do that. Um, part of that was the Pelican shot making, but still it's been a weird season and it's been so, so difficult to predict it as well. But, you know, I put this out there on Twitter earlier today and I thought, go back to the beginning of the season. And gosh, it doesn't get much more doom and gloom than this. Go back to the beginning of the season. Before anything has started, you ask someone, Yes, me, you, anybody, anybody who knows the team fairly well. And you say, write a script, a narrative of what the season would look like if the goal for the season was to torture Lakers fans. Wouldn't it turn out kind of similar to the way this season has actually played out? Yeah, like really similarly. I I think uh, like... Yeah, there's really <laughs> there's you know the 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 thing about torturing Lakers fans is perfect because there are actually things on the team that are going right enough, mm-hmm. going correctly enough that it's torturous, right? If everything was going wrong and everything was terrible, we all would have checked out, you know, 2 months ago. But there are just enough things that have gone correctly. Austin Reeves, Malik Monk, Stanley Johnson, Wenyan Gabriel, LeBron playing at like an otherworldly level. Mm-hmm. Just enough things have gone correctly that like we kind of have to stay engaged and fans kind of have to stay engaged and be like, ah, maybe if Anthony Davis comes back, we'll make a run at this thing. Like it, it's been just enough things. And that's what's, that's what's been so torturous is they're bad, but there's just enough good there that you have to still watch. That's what I'm saying, right? It's like, if you were to craft this, like they've been bad. The ex- First of all, you have to start with expectations that are really high, right? They're, they were picked as the team to come out of the West to win the championship. They've been bad. They haven't met those expectations at all. You've been hit by a bunch of injuries that have prevented you from seeing a lot of the players that you want to see, whether it's LeBron, Anthony Davis, right? These guys have been on and off the floor all season long. Then you throw in that every time they start to lose and you look like you just want to give up on them, then something will happen. That'll you know LeBron sets a record or or something. LeBron goes for fifty six. They win a game in an impressive fashion or something like that happens that kind of keeps you bought in just enough to slam you right back down. And then you had the big. This is it. This is the biggest game in the season against the Pelicans. This is the must win. They come out of the gates. They're red hot. Their defense. Everything looks locked in. Everybody's saying finally yes. Yes, this is what we've been waiting for. They're they're trying the effort, the energy, everything, the intensity. It's all there. And then to lose that game in the fashion that they did, to blow a 20-point lead at halftime, again, just getting slammed back down into the ground. That's just my confirmation that this is the bad place. This is this is the bad place. That's that's what's going on here. And it's remarkable just how bad this season has has uh has been and how difficult it's been to get through yeah i appreciated the the pop culture reference the other day (laughs) with the with the good place uh good place jokes there because they this is what it's felt like it's felt like we must we must this must be a joke right Mm -hmm. like this and and i think we we talked about it a little bit in the off season where uh, we we kind of both felt like and i know matt felt this way too Mm -hmm. where like 
there wasn't a team in the league that had a higher gap between their ceiling and their floor yeah. than this Lakers team in the NBA this season. And I think even when we were saying that, we weren't putting the floor low enough. Like, we were saying that thinking the floor was like, ah, oh, they're 500. Maybe mm-hmm. they, like, you know, are the six or seven seed. You know, they don't look too great, but there's some hope. I don't think any of us thought the floor was they're going to win 34 games this season and like everyone's going to hate each other and no one's job is safe. And we're talking trade AD like trade LeBron James. Yeah. All right. We're going to be the first team in history to trade LeBron James. That'll go really well. Uh, like it, that. So we were saying, wow, the, the, the gap between their ceiling and their floor is so wide. And we weren't even accounting for what their floor mm-hmm. actually was. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, it's been, even even the people that were saying like, oh, this is going to go poorly. This was terrible what the Lakers did in the offseason. Nobody was predicting this. And again, the the emotional roller coaster, just, it'd be one thing if they were just terrible all the time, then people just checked out. There've been just enough highs to keep people bought in before just knocking them right back down. It's been remarkable the way that's played out. And then, and then of course, <laughs> the cherry on top. Midway through the season, again, if you were if you were to sit down and script this, this is exactly what you would do to keep fans hanging on and everything. The Celtics would also be bad. But then part of the way through the season, right when Lakers fans start really feeling low because it's just not feeling like they're going to turn it around, the Celtics take off. And next thing you know, the Celtics are sitting near the top of the Eastern Conference and they're looking like potentially a really tough team. Now they did deal with an injury now to, to Robert Williams, but... The Celtics rise combined with the Lakers and their struggles this season. It's, again, just confirmation that you almost couldn't write a worse season from an emotional toll aspect as far as just torturing Lakers fans as much as you possibly can. It's been, I think, the worst season that I can can recall. And we've seen seen some bad ones, but from an emotional roller coaster standpoint, I don't think there's been a been a worse one, and hopefully we don't see one like this again for a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, I, I would easily say this is the most frustrating season of my lifetime, and I, I would even go farther than my lifetime because I know that before my lifetime, the Lakers won, you know, a bunch of championships. <laughs> so, like, I, I, I know the history of the team well enough to say, like, this easily has to be the most frustrating season in Lakers history, and... Things have gotten so bad to the point where, like, you're talking about the Celtics rise being, like, this torturous thing. Mm -hmm. Like, it got so low for the Lakers that I started thinking, if the Celtics weren't the Celtics, if it was this roster but wearing a different jersey, I might really like this team, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I actually think this is a really fun roster. But they're the Celtics, so I'm like, I have this level of hatred for them. But it got so bad that I was watching a Celtics game being like, man... If they were wearing like a Memphis Grizzlies jersey or a Minnesota Timberwolves jersey, I I kind of love this team. They're like they, they kind of do a lot of great things. Uh, you could say the same about the Clippers. Same about the Clippers, right? You'd be looking yeah. at that roster and just kind of the heart they play with on a night to night basis, and you'd be saying, okay, if they didn't have a Clippers jersey on, they'd be a little bit more fun to watch. But again, it's been I like a them. season where again, just to add into that that this is torture narrative. We're being tortured right now is the Clippers swept the Lakers in the season series. Oh my goodness, Ron. What a departure from where we were 
in the off season, but here we are. Now all of our listeners and viewers are like, oh my gosh, thank you for dragging us down that rabbit hole once again. But we've got a lot, a lot to get into. We do actually have some good news. There is some good news. Yes, there is some positivity out there. And that news came from Frank Vogel uh, today when we're recording this. It'll probably be yesterday when most of you are watching this and or listening to this. Uh, in our, our our press availability today, Frank Vogel shocked everybody. Like every press availability, one of the first questions asked is, what's going on with Anthony Davis? Where's he at? Right? And every every time it's the same answer, same answer, same answer. You know, oh, he's, he's just, not ready yet. He's not ready yeah. yet. He's a ways away is what you hear from Frank Vogel a lot. Today, Vogel suddenly goes, actually, we've we got in, he got in a full practice. We it's really positive. He got in a full practice, and that includes scrimmaging and everything. It was like everyone just went, wait, what? Wait, okay, he's practicing. So now he's alive. It, yeah. So now he's listed as doubtful for the game against the Mavs, which is a big upgrade from just out. I mean, that's that's a big jump to eh, he's getting close. Like, there's a chance he could play. Now, I'm not expecting him to play at all, but still. It's not a completely cemented thing that he is just out against the Mavs. And I think that's huge for the Lakers and would be big when they do finally get him back in action if they are going to try to make any kind of run here down the stretch. Yeah, I was actually, you know, I don't want to be all doom and gloom this episode of the Lakers Nation podcast. Uh, But I was going to ask you, like, do you even, would you even bring him back? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I would definitely bring him back. And I know I've seen a lot of people that say bubble wrap him and all that kind of stuff. If the Lakers had a draft pick, maybe you could talk me into that. But they don't. They don't. So they don't gain anything by by resting those guys. I'm Again, fingers crossed that there isn't some catastrophic injury that then lasts into the summer and into in next season. But I'm of the mindset that because they don't have a pick, you forge ahead, you play your guys, you do everything you can to win as many games as possible. If for nothing else, just to try to improve your bargaining position this summer. Uh, yeah, I think I understand that. Not, mm-hmm. I'm not fully sold either way, but I think there is an argument to be made of like, don't risk it just to bring him back for what, five games? Sure. You play in the play-in. Best case scenario, like realistically, the best case scenario for this season is you you push the Suns to six, right? Yep. <laughs> like that's the result of last season which was a doom and gloom, oh my God, I can't believe this happened, is now like a, that'd be a pretty good outcome if they could push the Suns to six and get through the oh. play-in tournament. That'd be kind of nice, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd be going in with a little more optimism into the offseason if you could do that. So I get the argument of wanting to bring him back to maybe do that, but like, is pushing the Suns to six worth him getting out there for eight games and maybe something goes wrong and maybe, you know... There's just some there's some things that can go wrong there. Sure, there there definitely are, um, and you never know, you never know. But again, I just think that if he's if he can come back and he can play, you put him out yeah. there. If for nothing else, get some confidence back in himself, and then you can use that to build into into next season, hopefully. But um, but yeah, there's always going to be some kind of risk whenever you put a player out there on the floor. But LeBron seems determined to continue playing. So if LeBron's going to continue playing, then I think Anthony Davis, if and when he is back and healthy, they're going to put him out there on the floor. Uh, speaking of which, though, let's look at the schedule and we'll see what the Lakers have coming up. Uh, I will warn you guys, again, we don't want to be too doom and gloom, but the schedule kind of is what it is. Um, we talked about this very early on, about the dangers of giving away winnable games uh, in the season. I've always had the mindset of 
the the games against the bottom dwelling teams are not gimmies, but in fact they are must wins. They're must wins because if you drop games to like OKC teams like that, that really comes back to haunt you. the The trick with the NBA in terms of your seating, it's not beating the top teams. That's not what it is. But people look at it like, hey, we beat we beat a good team. We beat we beat the Suns tonight. It still just counts for one win. Same as if you go and you beat the Rockets or whoever. You've got to beat those teams. That's the important part. And at the end of the season, if you're struggling for wins, that's when you look back at those games and say, man, I wish we had focused a little bit more against some of these teams. I wish we'd brought a little more energy. So now here's the Lakers who had a very light schedule early and their schedule the remainder of the way. At Dallas, at Utah, Versus New Orleans at home, but second night of a back-to-back. Versus Denver, again, at home. At Phoenix, at Golden State. Steph Curry could potentially be close to back by then, April 7th. Yeah. Versus Oklahoma City, and then you finish the season at Denver. We don't know if Denver will be playing for anything at that point or not, so that could certainly impact that game. But just looking at that, Dallas, Utah, New Orleans, Denver (laughs) twice, Phoenix, Golden State, OKC. How many wins are are there? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, <laughs> Wow. Uh, you know, two, uh, maybe. <laughs> you're talking, like, I'm assuming you're looking at New Orleans and OKC? Not even that. OKC and then, uh, like, I I think they're more likely to beat Utah than New Orleans at this point. The Lakers love playing Utah. They they crush the Jazz. <laughs> that is true. That is true. They've had, think, they've had good successes against them this season. I think if they win that game, they would sweep the season series against the Jazz. The Lakers, who are going to finish probably 14 games below 500 will have swept a playoff team in the season series if they beat the Jazz that night. So I just think they love playing the Jazz. I think they like uh, going, attacking Rudy Gobert, putting him in every action they possibly can. Um, I think they match up well against Utah uh, with their younger uh, their younger size lineup that includes Stanley and Wenyon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they match up very well with Utah. So I could see that being a win. I could see OKC being a win. Um, you know, they could maybe split the Denver games. Uh, there are opportunities for wins, but yeah, I mean, I would be I would be shocked if they went better than better than three and five. I'd be shocked if they went five hundred. 
Oh, man. I mean, that's and it's hard to argue with that. And then we got to look over at the San Antonio Spurs, who right now are only half a game behind the Lakers. Should the Lakers fall to the Mavericks, the Spurs will move ahead. Because guess what? The Spurs have the tiebreaker. Because once again, the Lakers have taken winnable games all season, and they've said, no, thank you. We don't, we don't want the win for that game. And they have not shown up for those ones. So they have lost uh, three games against the Spurs. They lost two of them. They won one. Uh, San Antonio... Their schedule the rest of the way. They picked up, they only won by three tonight against the Houston Rockets. Again, this is a team that's not necessarily trying to win basketball games, but, well, their players are, but organizationally. But this is their schedule. Versus Memphis. Versus Portland, two in a row. Portland's barely got a team to field at this point. So two games <laughs> you against... you see the starting lineup they put out tonight? Yeah, they, they don't even have a, a basketball team at this point. So two games against Portland. So they play Memphis, Portland, Portland, Denver, Minnesota, Golden State, Dallas. So aside from the two Portland games, that's not necessarily an easy schedule. But again, that means the Lakers have got to win games. And should the Spurs pick up a surprise win, like let's say the Mavs rest everybody on the final night or something like that, if the Lakers wind up tied with the Spurs, the Spurs move ahead. So now it's become much more possible that the Lakers, because they dropped this game to the Pelicans, that the Lakers could actually fall out of the play-in. And again, you've got two essentially free wins on the schedule for the Spurs against the with two games against the Blazers. This is going to get pretty dicey down the stretch. Yeah, they essentially have to match wins with San Antonio the rest of the way because they have a one they have a one game advantage in the loss column. Mm-hmm. So they essentially have to match wins the rest of the way. So anytime San Antonio wins, Lakers got to win too. Um, you know, that's not a great place to be. Uh, luckily, the Spurs have a pretty hard schedule. I mean, they, they have the fourth hardest remaining schedule. Lakers are second hardest remaining schedule. So both are not very good teams playing a lot of very good teams. Mm-hmm. So again, as long as the Lakers match them, they make it. But yeah, it's pretty sad that this is where we're at, and it, and it goes back to what you were saying, which was giving up winnable games. Look at the Chicago Bulls out east, right? The Chicago Bulls, their biggest criticism this season is that they can't beat good teams, mm-hmm. and they can't. Like, they are they are abysmal against good teams. But they kill the bad teams so easily with, with such consistency that they're 12 games over 500. Yeah. Because all they do is destroy good uh, bad teams and then they lose to the good teams but that that doesn't matter in the standings now what you could talk about the playoffs you know do they stand a chance in the first round against you know boston milwaukee or philly Mm -hmm. no probably not they're probably going to lose in the first round but they don't have to deal with the play-in because they handled their business against bad teams and if they had not done that they'd be where the lakers are right now because they can't be good teams either so that's that's what that's the difference yeah, I mean, the the teams that are at the very least focused on a night-to-night basis and have some talent, they tend to beat the teams they're supposed to beat. And this Lakers team has, and again, this this is something we talked about recently on, uh, on some of our live shows. This team, one of the problems they've had this season, people say, oh, it's because they're old. No, it's not just that. It's not just that they've got older players and they've been playing a lot of younger players recently, but the older veteran guys tend to understand, like, we need to win this game, this game, this game in order to get to where we need to go. They've got that mentality. In fact, LeBron talked about this a little bit. The young guys don't quite understand that, like your Austin Reeves, who's a rookie, who's been great, been a great find for them. But 
he doesn't have that experience in the playoffs that say LeBron does or some of the other guys might, Anthony Davis. And so he's not going to have that understanding that some of the veteran players will. But even during the regular season, you don't, you haven't gotten the benefit of having a veteran team because we've seen them make the mental mistakes of a young team while having for large chunks of it. Now that again, they're playing younger players now, but for large chunks of the season, they had the older heavy legs of a veteran team but they've been making the mental mistakes of a young team in terms of not closing out games, making silly errors down the stretch and just giving away games. It's been the combination. You've gotten the worst of both worlds, essentially, if you're the Lakers. All the mistakes that a young team makes and the athleticism concerns of an older team. Yeah, and, and you know, take a look at a team like like, uh, like a Memphis, you know, they're their young players bring energy and passion to every game, mm-hmm. which is what you want. And then their veterans, you know, their their Stephen Adams types, they kind of hold down the fort and make sure, okay, we are playing a we are playing a good game of basketball. We're playing a clean game of basketball. We're not turning the ball over. We're not doing this stuff. Phoenix is built very similarly, where they have they have youth that sort of gets the veterans to play hard every night, mm-hmm. and then they have the veterans that keep the youth from making mistakes every night. And the Lakers, that is not happening. The youth are playing with energy, but they're not getting the veterans to play with energy. And the veterans are not getting the youth to play smarter. <laughs> so everyone's just playing dumb and slow. So it's it's just kind of a problem, right? Like that's that's what you end up with. And there's, I mean, there's so many things that have gone wrong to this mm-hmm. point, but that's just... That's a part of it where this team doesn't have the mentality of a team that needs that that is that is desperate. And this team needs to be desperate. They should have been desperate three months ago. I think they were the first half against the Pelicans. They were the first half. And then doubt started creeping because the Lakers, they shot unsustainably well in that first half. And that got them going. But that's been one of the other characteristics of this team is in order for them to be putting forth maximum effort, they have to see the ball going into the basket. And that's not typically a characteristic of one of the really good teams in the NBA. Those are teams that will, if the ball's not going in, they'll just lock down on defense and they'll get stops in order to to win games. This Lakers team, their commitment on both ends of the floor largely gets affected by whether or not the ball's going in the basket. And so you knew in the second half there might be some opportunities there. And I think that's what we saw. I'll also say though, in the last, what, four games or so, their offense suddenly looked like they had figured some things out. Now they went away from that against the Pelicans, but again, that just kind of ties back into they're giving you just enough to keep that Mm -hmm. flickering flame alive, that last coal (laughs) burning just slightly. Yeah. And then again, just knocking you right back down every single time you could, you hope a little bit. Um, But the offense did look like it had figured out a few things. Yeah. And, and so there was some kind of that built up some hope again, and then we saw a departure of that against the Pelicans. So I do wonder if that's something they can recapture here down the stretch. And then when Anthony Davis comes back, what can you do there? Can that give you a run? Optimistically, let's say he comes back on the first against the Pelicans. Does that change your outlook for those final that final stretch of games if you've got AD back for New Orleans, Denver, Phoenix, Golden State, OKC, Denver? Uh, yes. I mean, because it, it helps you against Denver, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going... If you're going against the Nuggets and you don't have Anthony Davis, like, wh- what are you going to do? Right. Dwight Howard, 
Dwight Howard did a very good job against Nikola Jokic in the 2020 Western Conference Finals. And I, Dwight just can't is not that guy anymore. He's he's fallen off. Um, you know, he's just not been that guy this year. Uh, he doesn't have that bruising presence down low. He looks slow. Uh, he's he gets pick and rolled to death. And Jokic at this point is smarter than he was two years ago if that's even possible. So like that's this is just one of those things where you need Anthony Davis because otherwise like who's who's guarding Jokic and making you feel comfortable as a Lakers fan. So if he's back, it does change it a little bit, but if he's not back, I just don't see how they how they contend against a team like Denver. Like how they even play a game. I will I will say this in Dwight's defense, what you're talking about is not necessarily his fault. Um, I think he's, he's given you everything he can at 36 years old though. I don't think it's, I don't think it's reasonable. If we look at the last, the last two games for the Lakers at 36 years old, Dwight has been asked to play 28 minutes and 33 minutes. I don't think that that's reasonable to ask of a, of a 36 year old Dwight out. Now it's the position the Lakers were in and they just, they had to, they had to try to get that out of him. But given the minutes that he's gotten, whether it was too few minutes, which we've seen it's in some instances, or now potentially too many based on, on matchups he's been, been leaned upon too much. I think he's been okay, but he's given you what you would expect. If you're, And that's the problem with teams. When they get hit by injuries, they suddenly ask guys to do things that's outside of their wheelhouse. That's take on a role that's a little bit bigger than what they can handle, and that's where things can really start to fall to pieces. Dwight Howard being a prime example of that. He's probably being asked to do a little bit too much, so I'm I'm not going to fault Dwight necessarily for the role that he's been been forced into here, nor expect him to find success against against Nikola Jokic because that's again that's asking too much. But if Anthony Davis is back, okay, maybe you've got something. And then if Dwight can play in the ten ish, maybe fifteen minute as a top end, then maybe yeah. you've got a decent combo there. Yeah, and it's not meant as a slight to Dwight sure. Howard at all. It's just if there's no Anthony Davis. There's no trust that I have in Dwight Howard to do that because that's not who he is anymore. He's no longer that guy, even the guy he was two years ago in the Western Conference Finals. He's not that guy anymore. He is he has regressed. And like it's understandable. I'm not like blaming Mm. him for regressing. This is just the natural course of an NBA player that's not a bionic superhuman uh, in LeBron James. (laughs) So like that's just how it is. Speaking of bionic superhuman, LeBron James. Turns his ankle. He's now listed as doubtful for the game against the Mavs. Yeah, when when did LeBron become an ankle injury guy? He he's like he loves to injure his ankle now. Like he loves to roll and sprain and twist. He he loves to do things to that ankle now. Like that's for two and a half years now. It's just been like every two or so weeks. You're like. Man, he really kind of rolled that ankle. <laughs> yeah, that was and that was a rough one. Uh, he said it felt horrible after the game against the Pelicans, and that it definitely impacted his play in the second half. Um, it's look if the Lakers are getting Anthony. If Frank Vogel was actually asked about this in today's media availability, uh, it's it, it's just it's a microcosm of the season. It's just a, an example of how the season has gone. The Lakers are on the verge of getting Anthony Davis back, so LeBron James gets hurt. It's just, it's just seems to be the way it goes. I'm hopeful that he can not be out too long, but given the travel, when you sprained an ankle trying to fly on that, it usually 
it does more damage, right? I mean, your, your ankle's just going to swell that much more. I don't think they're going to have... I think we're looking at a game against the Mavs with no LeBron and no AD. Hey, you know what? This is this is the type of team that Russell Westbrook thrives on, though, right? Sure. Like, if, if there was ever a Russell Westbrook game, it's against the Mavericks without LeBron and AD because now he has the type of roster he's been used to working with his whole career. Um, th- yeah, so I, I think, you know, if for those Russell Westbrook believers out there, tune in Tuesday night, 4.30, TNT. <laughs> He might he might have himself a game. <laughs> is it really? Is it a TNT game? Yeah. Oh because no. The, by the way, by the way, we we need to talk about this because we we mentioned the schedule. Oh, they are. They're all uh, nationally televised except for the final two. Yep, they are all nationally televised. <laughs> six of the final oh, come eight. Come on. And the only two that aren't are the Thunder and the second Nuggets game, of which the Nuggets might not even be playing anybody. Um, all the games that matter the rest of the way are games that are nationally televised. Of course, because the NBA has decided they refuse to do any flexing. They flex like two games a month. Um, and I really just wish they would flex the Lakers out of existence at this point. We're in the, again, we're in the bad place. All of these games are going to be nationally televised, and we've seen so many that have been, which I get it going into the season, why the league would be like, yes, put put the Lakers on national TV as much as you can. But now, looking at this, you're like, no, no, no. Lakers fans do not want this team on national television. It only increases the spotlight on them and increases the amount of uh, the amount of hate that, that Lakers fans hear on social media after after games when you see this team on national TV. Yeah, so... You know, you want LeBron back for some of these games. Mm-hmm. You, he's probably going to be out tomorrow. But then, you know, on the road against the Jazz, maybe he misses that too. But then they have back-to-back home games. Uh, basically, actually, after that, after the Jazz game, they don't leave California until the Nuggets game, the last game of the season. So, oh, wait. They, they go, go to go Phoenix. Play the Sun, so never. That's a quick trip, so they, though. They don't, they don't leave the Pacific Division. Yeah. <laughs> of arenas uh so maybe he he's back for that stretch misses the next two would be kind of my guess Mm -hmm. but i have no idea because you know this lakers team doesn't like to give us any sort of consistency or answers to our questions ever so (laughs) who knows well unfortunately one of the themes of the season two has been self-inflicted injuries um eric pinkus recently wrote about this for bleacher report how a lot of what we're seeing, this isn't this isn't necessarily father time. This isn't necessarily, you know, paying the price for going and getting Anthony Davis or anything like that. A lot of what's happened this season has been small mistakes that have come back to haunt the Lakers. Um, you've talked about this one a lot. Taylor Horton Tucker not giving him a three-year deal, instead giving him a two-year deal. And that was just because of some bookkeeping stuff that they they could have taken care of that they didn't. Um, and then essentially winding up having to choose him over Alex Caruso because they didn't give him that three-year deal initially as a rookie and instead only gave him a two-year deal. These little moves that at the time don't seem like a big deal have all kind of combined to really haunt the Lakers and have put the team in the spot where they're in right now. In addition to, of course, the big decision to trade for Russell Westbrook. Yeah, yeah. The big mistake is obviously the Westbrook trade. Everyone's going to point to that. We've talked about that forever yep. and ever. 
but there have just been so many minor mistakes that we looked we looked over because they were they won a championship mm -hmm. and because it seemed like the morale around the team was good. So it felt like, ah, oh, if you make a contract mistake here, don't worry, we'll make it back up another time because it seems like team morale is good. Mm -hmm. Um but it it has all come crashing down and we're kind of at this point now where if if some serious changes and I don't mean personnel change like would I like them to make some moves in the front office? Sure. But what I mean by changes is if if they don't change how they operate in terms of the types of contracts they give out, the types of assets they trade away versus keeping, if they don't make that change this offseason, it's no longer going to be the Anthony Davis trade, trade set them back. It's going to be they set themselves back up for a decade. Um. And that's kind of the issue they're facing this offseason. It's them battling themselves. Yeah, that, that's what a big part of this offseason is going to be. It's not necessarily about, you know, what do we do to build, to rebuild this team? It's what do we do to fix the mistakes that we made? That's what they're going to have to spend a lot of time doing this offseason. And all these little moves along the margins. I mean, we can even go back to giving Ibiza Zubats to the Clippers. Why did you do that? Letting Julius Randle go. That was another decision that didn't make sense even at the time. Cindy. Um, not even letting him go, like letting him walk to another team, rescinding the qualifying offer outright they had him. to let him enter unrestricted free agency. They, they, which they didn't. No, no one needed to do no. that. They, they didn't need to do that. They didn't. They didn't need the cap space for LeBron James. They had the cap space for LeBron James. They didn't need to do that. They could have kept him as a restricted free agent, kept the cap hold on the books, and then when someone offered him money, which the Pelicans offered him like nothing. They offered him like two years, 18 million. Mm -hmm. The Lakers could have said, oh, that kind of works. Even if he's not a great fit next to LeBron, let's just sign him and trade him. Who cares? Well, but the, the Pelicans weren't going to offer him that if he was restricted. That was the problem. That was the problem was the Lakers had him as a restricted free agent. Randall said, look, I'd rather go somewhere else. Um, will you, you know, will you just renounce me? The Lakers, they needed to just say, no, no, no we're not doing that because <laughs> The Lakers rarely find themselves in an advantageous spot contractually because they, they tend to not have that many young players on, on restricted deals like that. And they did in Julius Randle's case. And Randle said, you know, I'd rather be somewhere else. And the Lakers said, fine. All right. See ya. Rather than just say, okay, well then either sign the qualifying offer and play on that for a year or, or agree to a new deal with us or we'll do a sign and trade or something somewhere. Instead, they just said, okay, go ahead, go be free. And then you can get an offer somewhere else. And they took that money that they saved and, and got Rondo with it. That was the move that they made at the time. And look, Rondo helped them win a championship. So again, we can kind of overlook that, but that's not the way you manage an asset, right? If you're going to do that with a guy, then you just, you need to trade him. If that's going to be your outcome, then you've got to trade him before it gets to that point and get something back. We've seen too many players over the years that they've allowed just walk away rather than get something for them. And that, again, it comes back to haunt you, especially now with a team so deprived of assets. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Yeah, and they've also done letting players walk has been a huge issue. They've also had the issue of attaching too many assets together. Two for, for ones, three rooms. for ones. Player and pick for player. Yeah. Three players and pick for player. Like, it's not enough of making deals where you gain more assets. Even if the assets are less valuable, gaining more than you gave out. Mm -hmm. The Lakers like to do this thing where they combine three or four lower level assets and then use all of them to go get one bigger asset. But where does that leave you with no flexibility? Uh, so that's kind of the issue that, you know, that was the issue with the Dennis Schroeder deal. You trade Danny Green, a productive player and a first round pick for Schroeder on a one year deal. And then you let him walk for nothing. Yeah. Why? 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 Why not just offer him a deal that nobody else can offer him? Right. Let's say, you know, there, there at the time that he signed with the Celtics, there was no money out there for him. So if you're the Lakers, you have his bird rights. Offer him $10 million because he can't refuse it because that's the most money he's getting anywhere. Mm -hmm. Offer him $10 million and then trade him because he's on a reasonable contract. Yeah. Like, it, there's just, there's so many mistakes that have built up and they didn't seem big at the time. They seemed like, ah, you know, whatever. Like, a first with Danny Green is kind of whatever, but Dennis Schroeder's a better player, so I understand it. And now you're looking back, it's like, wow, so many mistakes. Especially now that that pick, I mean, it could have been Desmond Bain. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. It, it would have been Desmond it, it, Bain because the Lakers team, the Lakers scouting team loved yep. him. Yep. And so that certainly come back has uh, come back to haunt them. So yeah, it's, it's attaching assets. Even if you look back at the Westbrook trade, you and I both said the same thing. We said, why is there a first in here from the Lakers? What it, it feels first from the Wizards. It feels like they're, they're not the deals that they make. They're getting the deal done, but they're losing the trade in order to get it done. Like it didn't, it didn't make sense that they included a first round pick in order to get Russell Westbrook. If anything, there should have been a first coming back towards the Lakers. Instead, they wound up getting three seconds, but that's not, that's not going to help you as much. And then they wound up using one of those seconds to, to move Marcus Gasol's salary off their books. But it doesn't make a lot of sense from the Lakers perspective to throw that stuff in. And yet it's getting done on a consistent basis. where just stuff's getting added in that from a value perspective, don't make sense. And then... At some point, that comes back to haunt you. At some point, you got to pay the price for all of that. And it feels like that's around now when they're looking around going, okay, well, now we really need to make moves. Oh, but we don't have much in the way of draft picks because they've attached so many of them in other scenarios. Yeah, and the, the Anthony Davis trade, look, the player part of the trade is sure. fine. Uh, three young players, uh, you know, two of whom had injury concerns and one of them wasn't really like a star level prospect in Josh Hart. Like that's, that's fine. But the pick part of that trade is where the Lakers really screwed up. Yes. The, you know, on the surface, they only gave up three first round picks or whatever. It was like three firsts and two pick swaps. 
But the way they structured the picks basically gave the Pelicans sole discretion and power over the Lakers' tradable assets. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a pick, there's a first round pick, an unprotected first round pick in the in the Anthony Davis deal that essentially allows the Pelicans to decide in the moment if it's a 2024 first round pick or a 2025 mm -hmm. first round pick. They get to pick, which means the Lakers can't trade either of them. So if if right in the moment the Lake the Pelicans decide, you know what, we want it to be 2025, the Lakers can't suddenly magically just trade 2024. They're going to have to wait until the draft to do that, which is always worse. So like it, it's very little things that on the surface don't seem like big deals. Mm -hmm. But now that everything has come together and we're in this horrible season and we're doom and glooming all the time, now it's like, oh, my God, they made like 10 mistakes in a row. And now all 10 mistakes are coming back to haunt them at the exact same time. Absolutely. I mean, and that's... Look, I'm not going to look at this and say they lost the Anthony Davis trade. I don't think that they... That they, they won a championship. That's it. That's that's what matters, right? So they won a championship. That's great. Um, but yeah, I, I think at the time I even thought... At, at the time we were thinking, okay, what you want to do is you want to include... You want to try to hold out one of these things, right? I remember this vividly. You want to hold out one of these things. Brandon Ingram, which was unlikely, Lonzo Ball, which was unlikely, or Kyle Kuzma and Josh Hart. It was the combination of those two things. They weren't able to do that. They wound up having to put Josh Josh Hart into the deal. Um, so you lose on that side. And then, of course, the trade, the Pelicans very specifically and on purpose tried to make it as difficult as possible for the Lakers to move any future first-round picks because they wanted to try to make it as likely as they could that the Lakers would collapse and not be able to dig them their way out so those picks would improve in value. And right now, that's looking like a pretty good proposition. So that's that's been an issue, too. The moves along the bar. Heck, even look at Austin Reeves' contract. He's got a two-year deal. They did the same thing. They did thing the same thing they again. did with Taylor Horton Tucker, and that could come back to haunt them, not this offseason, but next offseason when suddenly they have all this cap room and Austin Reeves is a free agent instead of heading into the third year of his deal. That's another situation. And do you know how they could have? Do you know how they could have avoided mm. that? The Taylor Horton Tucker one, they could have avoided by maybe not giving Quinn Cook above a minimum contract. Which, by the way, can you believe that Quinn Cook got mm -hmm. two years, six million from the Lakers? He did not get a minimum, mm -hmm. uh, which wild. But how the Lakers could have avoided it with Austin Reeves? You know how Kendrick Nunn is making five million flat. Mm -hmm. If he was making four point nine five. They could have given Austin Reeves a three-year deal instead of a two-year deal. So, because of fifty thousand dollars that they had to give to Kendrick Nunn for whatever reason, Austin Reeves is now going to enter free agency a year earlier. And if the Lakers want to keep him, he will have to play on a bigger contract in year three as opposed to year four, which is the exact same mistake they made with Taylor Horton Tucker. But the stakes were even less because all they needed to do was get Kendrick Nunn to take fifty thousand less dollars in the first year. See, this is where when I look at at the front office and we talk about stuff like this, this is where I think I'm not going to say Rob Palenka needs to go. I think that's the knee jerk reaction from Lakers fans is, "Oh, well, this is awful. Get rid of Rob." I think they need another voice there though, that has a better sense of these things. I think that you need, and again, I'm not saying Rob goes away, but maybe you bring in somebody else to fill kind of the Magic Johnson role that Magic vacated 
that has a really good sense of exactly how these things need to work. And I'm not saying that Rob doesn't, but these little things have been adding up to a lot. And with this being the case, it feels like you need someone else there with an eye on this stuff all the time that maybe values these margin moves a little bit more to help protect the team from these future mistakes. Yeah, and look, the reason Rob has value is because unlike a lot of GMs, which this is a problem I have with a lot of GMs, they're scared to make moves. Um, Rob is a little too unafraid mm -hmm. to make moves, which can be a good thing, right? Aggressiveness, wanting to make a change. I think that can be a good thing, but it's not good if you're if he's the the highest level voice making all the decisions. So I think bringing in someone, an outsider, who can kind of assume that president of basketball operations role and sort of keep Rob in check. Hey, Rob, you can go out and try to make all these trades, but maybe you run it by me before we accept. And I'll let you know if we're giving up too much, which you probably are. And I'll remove an asset from the deal and then we can move forward. You need your own, who was it, in, in Moneyball, Peter Brand, right? Was that his name in Moneyball? Yeah. Jonah Hill's character. You need that guy. You need that guy, essentially, in the in their front office. Um yeah, it's been it's been interesting when you look at the moves that they've made. And unfortunately, though, what you're describing, that's not really in the Lakers' DNA to go out there and find that outside hire. Instead, we've seen this team historically, this organization historically, circle the wagons. Whenever time gets tough, let's turn to the people that we already know. And that's that's who we want to rely upon rather than look for that outside voice. I've always said that that's it's a limiting factor in terms of, of figuring out how you want to put together a roster because you're only listening. Sometimes you can get into an echo chamber. You're only listening to people that you already know that already understand your way of thinking. It's not always a bad thing because it's people that you trust. It's it's people who you have cultivated opinions with you over decades in this case for the Lakers. So it's not all bad. But in this case, I think an outside voice probably wouldn't hurt, particularly when we're talking about these mistakes that are all the more glaring now with the, what looks like probably the conclusion of this really terrible, horrible, no good, very bad season. Yeah, and so that's that's where it comes to this offseason, right? They they need a culture change, and even if they don't make a move, you know, an outside hire or an addition or a subtraction of any kind, there needs to be a culture reset where it's, okay, let's stop even though we're trying to win a championship right now, we need to stop devaluing assets. Mm -hmm. We need to stop just throwing things in there for the sake of throwing things in there to get the deal done. Really, and I actually think, like, at the trade deadline, I think they showed great restraint. I That's why I was a very big fan of the deadline, them doing literally zero moves. I thought it was good because it showed some restraint to say, we don't need to throw in assets just to get a deal done. And I think that's the first step on a much smaller scale. That's the first step towards actually making some some, some substantive changes this offseason that actually gets the team back into contention. Because you know what? You have LeBron James. You have Anthony Davis. You have Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson uh, under contract next year. Taylor Horton Tucker under contract next year. Like, there are there are bones there that you can actually build a championship team with. It's just going to take restraint and it's going to take 
making the right move as opposed to making a move. Oh, no question. No question. They have to bat a thousand this offseason. This offseason, they're, they're, the margin for error because of the mistakes of the past, it's zero. It's zero. We saw them. They didn't hit on many of their moves this off se- this past offseason in terms of the guys they brought in. Obviously, there's some exceptions to that. Carmelo Anthony, Malik Monk, Austin Reeves. There, you know, there's plenty of guys who, came, who they brought in, and it, you know, the guys they've added since then: Stanley Johnson, Wenyan Gabriel. There's guys who have contributed, but you look at kind of the big names that they went and got: Trevor Ariza, Wayne Ellington. Right? I mean, these guys haven't really worked out. Ken Bazemore. So there's no room for that this offseason whoever they get whether it's via trade whether it's via free agency whatever they they buy their way into the draft and they draft a young player whatever happens it has to work it has to that's the only way you're going to undo the mistakes of the past is by making some really really smart decisions moving forward and that's why i've been saying this is going to be the most important lakers offseason in a while and this offseason may wind up determining the trajectory of the franchise for the next decade yeah, so no pressure. No pressure, though. Uh, best of luck to Rob Palinka. Uh, best of luck to Jeannie Buss and the Rambi. Uh, I really hope that they have a plan. <laughs> At least 12% of a plan. All right. Appreciate everybody. Sorry, that was a obscure Marvel reference there. Um, appreciate everybody for, <laughs> for listening and joining us on, on this show. Make sure if you're watching over on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel that you do subscribe. Don't forget to turn on those notifications. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure that you do give us that five-star review. And of course, write uh, write something in the review box too. We would certainly appreciate that. And you can even rate us over on Spotify, wherever it is that you're listening to podcasts. Sorry if we got a little doom and gloom, but... Unfortunately, it's the way things are this season. But hey, if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, you're a real one. It's been a tough season, but you're continuing to move forward. That alone is impressive. We will still be here all the way through the offseason and however long this season goes. Uh, hopefully, we step into the light again next season. Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe.